Hey, good morning, Pillar Church. All right, so our scripture reading today is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So specifically Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Pillar. I want to start with a question that comes from a book I read this week called uh, Praying, with, Praying Like Monks. Um, hi, Lily. How are you doing? Yeah, this is, uh, this is good. Uh, you kind of throw off my game here, Lily. Uh, Pray Like Monks. Tyler Stanton asks this. When you picture God, when you picture the face of God, what expression does he wear? Is the God of your imagination stern, serious, determined, even angry? Or maybe your vision of God is one in which he's aloof, uninterested, or apathetic. Think about that in your own life. When you think about the face of God, what expression is God wearing right now as he looks down on you? Today's sermon is called A Tale of Two Fathers. And I want to give you a couple of fathers right here to show you two different expressions. One of them comes from just our community about a year ago, uh, we had a guy here named Dave Thomas, uh, 15 pilot. I don't know if you know him. He goes by Frosty as call sign, but I am not cool enough to use call sign. So uh, <laughs> Dave Thomas and I were upstairs at a men's breakfast, and we were walking down, and Dave started talking about his high school experience, talking about baseball and, and how much he loves playing baseball. And somehow during this conversation, it shifted from baseball to his dad. And he started to talk about his dad in a way that I do not hear grown men talk about his dad, about their dads, is that he talked about his dad with such passion and with love. And he talked about how his father supported him and drove him and encouraged him and batted with him and threw balls at him. And just as he talked about his father, Robert, tears were coming down Dave's eyes in a way that happens when someone passes away. But Dave's dad is very much alive. And the way that he talked about his dad was so encouraging, so sweet, that I had tears in my eyes listening to this man talk about how awesome his father is. So Robert Thomas is one guy. The other guy, you may recognize if I show you his picture. Can we throw it up there? Do you, extra points right now if you know who this is. Oh, look at this. That's a nerd. Uh, so... <laughs> Denethor from Lord of the Rings. Now, Lord of the, he is the steward of Gondor. And for, for us, Lord of the Rings is a Christmas marathon. Who else does that? You watch Lord of the Rings, Christmas marathon. Yeah. Forget about his Die Hard, a Christmas movie. Lord of the Rings is the best Christmas movie that we watch. Well, Denethor is the steward of Gondor, has two sons. Boromir was killed by orcs, his oldest son. And he's left with his less favorite son, Faramir. And he sends Faramir into this battle that is surely to be lost. And as he leaves, Faramir says, you now wish that our places have been exchanged, that I died and Boromir has lived. 
Denethor says, yes, I wish that. Can you imagine hearing that from a son, from your father to a son? Since you were robbed of Biramir, Faramir says, I will do what I can in, I, in his stead. If I should return, think better of me, father. Denethor replies, that will depend on the manner of your return. Think better of me, father. That depends on how you return. If you're victorious, I'll think better of you. If you're not, I won't, is what is implied. And if we are honest with ourselves and each other and God, this is sort of how we look at God. We are, often look at God that he says that to us. He is the Denethor in our life, looking at us and saying, if you do right, it depends how you come to me on the manner of your return. If you come to me and you had a good life of uh, good service, if you stay away from sin and you work with orphans, then maybe we'll talk. But this everyday nonsense can't have it. We view God more like Denethor than we do about than we do like Robert Thomas. And this view of God, God as Denethor, who is this angry father waiting to only judge us when we do wrong and only like us when we do right is a lie. And as we're studying through the Nicene Creed, Nicene Creed, as you've heard throughout these last few weeks, is a fourth century systematic theological statement to confront lies about God. Lies about God that are held are not just for those Neanderthal Christians back in the late 300s. We believe lies about God today. And this week, we're going to focus on lies we believe about God the Father. So as we read this morning in the Nicene Creed, we're going to focus in on this section. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. God is going to counteract lies that we have about him with his goodness as a father. He is a good, good father. The main idea that we're going to look at today is because of the work of Jesus, God is a good father who accepts, provides, and delights in us. God is a good father who accepts, provides, and delights in us. So let's just start with this idea of because of the work of Jesus, God the Father accepts us. This is the, the foundation of everything else we're going to say today. In late 90s, 20, what is that, 20, 30 years ago? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Uh, th whatever like 92 is, uh, is when I came across a book called Putting Amazing Back into Grace by Michael Horton. And in there, he had a little cartoon picture I want to show you here that really helped my understanding and theology of Christianity because I became a Christian, but yet I still sinned. Anybody else like that in here, or is it just me? Oh, wait a minute. It's all of you. Uh, and so this cartoon kind of helped me with this idea, is that how can both of those things be true? How can I still be a sinner and yet be justified before God as I read about in Scripture? And this little cartoon, yeah, it's kind of silly. It's kind of cartoonish. But we have this idea that God's view looks at Jesus' sacrifice, and me and my sin hide almost in the shadow of Jesus' cross. We are accepted by God because when God sees me, he sees the work of Jesus. And that is the basis of all of our acceptance. Jesus is the key of why we are accepted by God. It's not that I'm a nice person or I do good things or I'm a great dad and a better husband. Um, it's not any of those reasons. I am a great dad and a better husband, but you know. Uh, that is not why we're accepting. That is not why I get accepted by God. I get accepted by God because of the work of Jesus. The Father accepts me because of the work and sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. 
It is, it's called an alien righteousness. My righteousness is because of something else, which is Jesus' perfection. We were rebels. We were enemies. We were slaves. But because of what Jesus did, we now are adopted sons and daughters. As, as we looked at the text today, we see in Romans that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have this spirit of adoption, and adoption is the key to this acceptance. When we look at why we are accepted by God, we have to have adoption in the center. As Christians, we are adopted into this family of God. It is not our own doing, and adoption theologically, is the beauty of the gospel. Even though we were enemies, even though we raised our fists of God, even though we ran the other direction, Jesus paid the price of my rebellion, and the Father adopted me into his family. I'm a son, you're a daughter, because of Jesus' work. That is the foundation of our acceptance. And then not only are we accepted, but we get to call God something, a term, Abba, Father, because of our adoption. And you've heard this before, I think John has, has mentioned this before, is that Abba is this very endearing term uh, akin to our daddy or dad. It's not father, you know, tightened up shirt, father, distant in that word, but rather it's the, the dad version, equal. We get to call God the Father this affectionate term because Jesus has opened the gates for us to meet the Father. It was one of the relig- reasons the religious leaders were so against Jesus. He was too chummy with God the Father. How dare you call him Abba, Father? God is out there in unapproachable light. He is the holy, holy, holy. We won't say, can't even say God's name. It's too holy and too different. Even today, some people won't write the word God, G-O-D, G uh, hyphen D, because it's, God is too holy to be on par with. But because of Jesus, we can call him Abba. And that is a very clear term of acceptance that we get to say. In his book, uh, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves has this for us. When a person deliberately and confidently, confidentially call, confident, let me try this all again here. When a person deliberately and confidently calls the Almighty Father, it shows they had grasped something beautiful and fundamental about who God is and what they have been saved, and how that wins our hearts back to him. For the fact that God the Father is happy and even delights to share his love for his son and thus be known as our Father reveals just how gracious and kind he is. One of the best gifts we have from God the Father is the ability to call him Dad, Abba. Just the fact that he gives us the right to be able to be on par with God the Father is a gift. Abba is not just a name, but it's a relational position. By using it, we are showing something about the relationship. Father is the name that showcases this relationship. It showcases the, uh, the relationship and the acceptance we have in the Father. And we know this. We, we have little pet names for our spouses. On three, I want you to yell them out. You ready? I'm just kidding. That would just really, before lunch, no thanks. A uh, little too cringy here, but we all have uh, little names for our spouses that perhaps if you said them to somebody else, it would be, well, you'd get punched as you should uh, because it does, you don't have the relationship to use this name, whatever this name is. We do the same with uh, uh, something like dude. You wouldn't use dude 
and to your boss's boss, I hope anyway, maybe, try it. Uh, let me know how it goes. <laughs> you wouldn't do that because you don't have the relationship, but perhaps friends, you, that's a word you use, or bro, or bro's ugly, ugly cousin, brah, uh, any of those right there. Like, you, it, you have to have a relationship whether to, to use that word, and if you don't have the relationship, you can't use these words. And because of that, this shows the beauty of us being given the right to use the word Abba, Father. It shows a closeness in our relationship that we have with the Father because of what Jesus has done. Because of this, we're accepted. And almost proof of our acceptance, Jesus tells us to call God Abba, Father, Daddy. We are accepted as heirs in this. And this is a beautiful thing with acceptance. So we're not just accepted by a father, but because of Jesus, God the Father abundantly provides for us, abundantly. And we can ask with boldness. Famous verse, uh, a passage from Matthew 7 you're all familiar with. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you, shall, you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks received, and the one who seeks finds, and the, to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is using the lesser to greater argument. If you, earthly dads, and you are human, imperfect, you are flawed in so many ways, and you know this, parents, you're flawed in so many ways, but you still give good gifts to your kids, if that's true, how much more so to our good, good father do we give, get gifts from him? If I give gifts to my children and I overbuy for them at Christmas time, like some of you guys do, then God overbuys for us all the time. We, as earthly fathers, give gifts. Now, I do have to push back at Jesus on one small thing. With if he, if who asked for a fish, give him a serpent. Dads would give him a serpent. I would, as a joke, right? That's why we're hilarious as dads. My kids want a fish. Here's a snake. Good luck. And then I'd give, I'd give him the fish in, in the wrong run. But this is where dad jokes come from, I think. But the idea is that if we know how to give gifts, wouldn't God provide for us way more than we can imagine? Tim Keller has this great line where he says, the only person who would dare wake up a king at three in the morning is his child. The only person who would wake up a king, anybody else would risk death. But the only person who would risk waking up a king is a child, and the child has no idea of the risk involved because of the relationship he has with the king. We are that child, and our king doesn't sleep, but we get to cross in and ask him for things without any fear. We have access to that kind of king because as kids, the father's predisposition toward us is always of generosity and delight. God delights in answering and providing for us. It is his delight. Why would we not ask? Ephesians 1, as to, when it talks about grace that comes when we become Christians, it uses this verb lavish. The grace has been lavished upon us. L-A-V root word, I could ask some of you for root words, uh, L-A-V root word is washed lavished on us. It's like we get a shower of grace. A deluge of rain pours on us. 
We are lavished in this grace. And the same lavishing happens not only in grace, but in other areas that we ask God for and petition him for. God is willing and eager to lavish us with what we ask. Why don't we ask? We don't. Jesus told us how to pray for a daily bread. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You, know, you all know this from children. We Protestants call that, what's the name of the prayer? Lord's Prayer. Now, if you were like me and grew up Catholic, what is they called? The, uh, yeah, Our Father. In, in Rhode Island, where as a Catholic, it's the Our Father. And so <laughs> I prayed the Our Father. I think I still call it the Our Father in our house. But I like just the change of names is different. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus' prayer. But calling it the Our Father becomes our prayer. And so the idea, even just that little name, like I am coming to Our Father petitioning him. I'm just not repeating what Jesus says, but I am using Jesus's words as my father as well. This captures, this our father captures God's provisions. Back to Tyler Stanton with, with that book, Pray Like Monks. He has this line here, to ask vulnerably with enough specificity that God has the chance to disappoint you or surprise you. Ask boldly with enough empowerment that makes you wonder if you're even allowed to be this forward with God. Imagine if our prayer life sounded like that. We asked vulnerably, knowing that God could even disappoint us. That's, that's how important of the request is. We would be disappointed if the answer was no. And ask boldly that we don't know, I don't know, am I stepping over bounds here, what I'm asking God for? And so sometimes we don't do this, and if you're like me, our prayers sound like, God, be with us today, help us to get home safely, bless the food, I hope things are good, help us to have a good day. Nothing wrong with any of those prayers, nothing wrong with that. However, is that all our prayers are? Where are we asking boldly and approaching the king at three in the morning? Think about the most outrageous prayer that you could ask God for, whether this is something dealing with health or children or station in life, or job, or geography, the most outrageous thing you could think of, that you're like, I don't even know if I should be praying that. That feels a little uh, sacrilegious. Pray that prayer. That's what Jesus is telling us with Abba Father. Pray with the needs. I mean, your kids come to you with kind of <clears throat> stupid things, right? <laughs> right? And you're like, why are you coming to me this? Deal with it yourself. You know this. If our kids come to us and we answer that prayer, we should go to God with the most ridiculous, outrageous, vulnerable, bold prayers that we can. God is somebody who delights in answering us, and we have that connection. He is our Abba Father, and we have that connection to him. So God lavishes with grace. He lavishes with provisions for us, and he does that oftentimes with the church, with people. That's why coming to church, being at church, is so much different than watching television church. Here is that God answers your prayer with other people. God answers your prayer with people in this very room, perhaps. So we are his church. So in your need, he answers you with us. Some of you sitting in, this cha in these chairs today are an answer to prayer to our family. What a gift, isn't it? That God uses me, perhaps, to answer your prayer. This is a really cool thing that our Father does. So whether they're meals or comfort or confrontation or support or finances, any of those things, God answers our prayer with other people. 
years ago, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, Christy and I prayed our outrageous prayers, our dangerous prayers for, uh, in our adoption process of a child. And in this prayer, we got the call on a Friday. I was at school. I got a call and says, we have a little 11-month-old baby named Monito, and he's going to come to you. He'll, we'll be there on Thursday. This was Friday. Monito Hudson came on Thursday. We had six days to prepare. So all of you nine-monthers, rookies, <laughs> six days. Uh, and so Hudson, God has lavished us with our son Hudson, pouring on, showering with grace and joy in our son Hudson and eventually Josiah and Grace as well. Lavishing. But it didn't end there. Because our God is one of those gods that just keeps on giving. The faucet doesn't end with lavishing. God continued to use people in our lives during this answer of prayer. We were in a small group at a different church on island. And after Hudson came, this was in March, uh, our good friends, Megan and Jason, they wanted to celebrate Hudson's arrival to the Koya family and had a Thanksgiving dinner in March. And it was a true Thanksgiving spread. Everyone brought Thanksgiving-y foods. It was huge and it was beautiful. This was a lavishment, not only on Hudson coming into our family, but our family of believers being just blessing us in such a way, looking around this table and all these people who love us and care for us well, God answered our prayer and more with people sitting across from us at church. Now, I don't know what we ate that day. I don't even remember everybody who was there, but I do know that that was the best meal I have ever eaten in my life because it shows God's blessing, ongoing, lavishing, pouring on, deluge of blessing. So we need to ask God those dangerous prayers, those l prayers that seem so ridiculous. Ask boldly because he's our Abba Father. Now fathers can accept us and fathers can provide for us, but that doesn't necessarily make them good dads. Denethor probably accepted his sons to some degree and provided for them well. It doesn't make him a good dad. Dads accept and provide, but the best thing about dads is the third part in that Dads delight in their kids. Because of the work of Jesus, God the Father delights in us. Last year I read Frankenstein. It's one of the better books I read last year. This has nothing to do with Frankenstein. There's no like Frankenstein connection. So dads, be like Frankenstein. Nothing like that. But there was a line in the early pages of it that would seem like a side note, but it was so powerful. Victor Frankenstein said as his, about his childhood, my father's smile of benevolent pleasure while regarding me is my first recollection. My father's smile of benevolent, of this good pleasure while regarding me is my first recollection. Uh, it stuck out to me for two reasons. I don't think my father, I could say that about my own father, that my first recollections are smiles of benevolent pleasure. And unfortunately, and I don't think my kids could say that about me, but there was something about this line that really stud, stood, stood out for me, and that is that God looks at me with this idea of benevolent pleasure. My favorite memory of my earthly dad was coming, him coming home from work, working in a factory in Rhode Island, coming home from work, still in his uniform, and 
playing on the floor with us. That was kind of our phrase for wrestling on the floor. So he was tired after all the work. We'd beg him, Dad, please play on the floor with us. And he would get down, still smelling of sweat and factory, and he would wrestle on the floor with us. And it was the best thing in my childhood, honestly, with me and my brother. I don't think I ever felt more loved or delighted in by my dad by him getting down on the floor and playing on the floor with me. That's delight. And I think my dad would say that that was a good memory as well for him, delighting in us. Now, we're going to talk more about God's delight, and I just want to take a step back for a second that, yes, I know God is holy, 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 and yes, I know that we have responsibility as Christians, and we have commands to follow, and we want to pursue righteousness and strive to do better and to fight sin, all of those things, and those are all true, and God is totally other in so many ways. He's transcendent in so many ways, but just for the next five minutes, let's just look at God's delight in us. All of that stuff is true, but let's just look at the way that God delights in you as a Christian, and God's benevolent smile looks at you. Let's just enjoy that for a moment. See, God the Father is on his throne, but God the Father gets on the floor and plays with us as well. There is something about the delight that he has in his children the way that we would with our own children. And because of my dad's playing on the floor with me, really, my favorite thing as a dad to do is wrestle with my kids. I can still beat them, so I think it's okay. I, that might last just another year or so. But uh, we see this picture of this delight in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as well. So Aslan comes back to life, and he's playing with the kids with this line of just pure joy. Round and round the hilltop he led them, now hopelessly out of their reach, now letting them almost catch his tail, now diving between them, now tossing them in the air with his huge and beautiful velveted paws and catching them again and now stopping unexpectedly so that all three of them rolled over together in a happy, laughing heap of fur and arms and legs. It was such a romp as no one had ever had except in Narnia. What a, what a picture of pure delight in this story. If you're taking notes, a little side note, I've used Lord of the Rings and Narnia. If I do Matrix, that's like the perfect triumphant in sermon illustrations. So, um, and so we, we have this idea of Narnia, of Aslan throwing the kids up in the air and them laughing with delight. And this play is so great. I read an article this week, The God Who Plays, and I just love that idea. About a year ago, we had some, some event, I can't remember what it was, the, the women had something to do and all of the dads took the kids to the beach. It was a disaster, but it was so fun. I mean, there was, the ransom boys were like flying in a way that I've never seen them fly before. It was so dangerous, but it was awesome. It was awesome. There's that idea of play that is so powerful. See, our father is a lot less like Denethor and way more like Aslan in this picture. It's why we watch Bluey and love Bandit Healer. We want God to be more like Bandit Healer and play keepy uppy. You know what that is. Don't pretend you don't. Uh, that is the kind of God that we have who gets off of his throne, puts aside all of whatever we're going through, and just plays on the floor with us. I saw this in action um, at the men's retreat in November. And we had a men's retreat at Akuma. And the best time that I witnessed was the open mic 
time at the very end. Men could stand up and just share anything that God was using in their life or how they were growing. Kyle King, he was in the earlier service. Kyle King stood up. He shared some personal struggles, confessed sin very openly and honestly, asked for accountability, and he sat down. That was beautiful, but that wasn't the best thing. The best thing about it is that his dad was there. His dad was visiting and came to this. And Dennis stood up and asked for the mic right after Kyle sat down. Dennis grabbed the mic, and through tears, Dennis was crying, and he said three words that were so powerful. And he said, that's my boy, and sat down. That's my boy. Now, Kyle didn't just win an award. He didn't just lift uh, X amount of weight. He didn't just come up with the world's best dad. It was none of that. Kyle confessed sin and brokenness. He was transparent. Some dads would say, how dare you do that? That's embarrassing. That's family business. It stays inside the house. That's my boy. That's my boy. Now, when Dennis spoke these words, honestly, it was the most powerful three words I heard over that weekend because those are the words that we all wanted to hear from our dads. That's my boy. And even better, those are the three words that reflect God the Father's view of us. You see, when God ha- looks at us, he is delighted in us. God delights in our raw honesty, our confession, our brokenness. God is right there and delights in us. So we don't have to clean ourselves up to come to God so that God can say, oh, Ron, you know, you did great. You went to church this many times. You read this many passages. You memorized this. Good job, that's my boy. God says, that's my boy when I have failed again, when I've spoken things that I ought not speak, when I look at things I ought not see, when I act a way that is totally contradictory to him. When I am transparent and real and broken and raw, that is where God says, that's my boy. He says to you, that's my girl, when you're honest in front of him. There's a verse in the Bible that I am embarrassed to say I've never seen in my life for being a Christian 30 plus years. Never seen this verse. So I think it just popped up recently. It's Zephaniah 317. Zephaniah 317. You're going to like this. You're going to want to memorize this verse. In fact, it's it's an order. You have to memorize this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. You're going to rejoice over me, God, with gladness? Don't you know who I am, what I did, what I didn't do? He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is the Old Testament God. Sometimes we want to divide these two. Old Testament is wrath. New Testament is Uh, kind and love. How wrong that is. We have one God, and here we have an Old Testament verse that tells us that God rejoices in us with loud singing. Imagine what that sounds like. God rejoices over me. He sits and quiets me by his love. In my anxiety, in my hurt, in my brokenness, God sits with me and quiets me by his love. He exalts over me with loud singing. Imagine what that's like. I don't know what that song says, but I want to hear it. I really want to hear it. We think of a God who is so separate from us, who is so distant, and who's just waiting for us to screw up so that he can address it quickly, swiftly, 
so that we can get back on track. That is not this God that we're talking about. We're talking about a good father who plays on the floor with kids and rejoices and sings with them. Later, we're going to sing a song that we sing here often, Ghost Ship's Adoption. And there's a line in there that I love that gets stuck in my head every time we sing it for a week. It's, a father is coming for us. A father is coming for us. And we often think, as if you were a kid like me, that when we're in the bedroom and I was messing around with my brother, fighting, making noise when we're supposed to be sleeping, a father was coming for us, but it was, we heard those footsteps and we knew what that meant when the father was coming for us. It was never a good thing. But here in the context of the song, Adoption, we're looking at an orphanage of orphans, separated, without family, and the Father is coming for us. Not to punish, not to chastise, not to induce guilt, but rather to accept, provide, and most importantly, to delight in this child. The title of this is Tale of Two Fathers, and just talking about fathers, I know as I prepared for this, I had some work to do in my heart with my uh, family of origin as well, and it may, you may have a heavy heart as well when you hear about fathers. Maybe fathers is something that is distant, it creates pain for you. We hear this, that our view of God is first shaped by our view of our father, and as a dad, I really hope that's not true <laughs> for my kid's sake um, because I, want, I know that I fail. You may be a father who fails, and hearing all these things that a good dad does creates a weight on your neck. This is not meant to be a weight. This isn't a talk about how to be a better father. It's not a talk about how to reconcile things with your father. Let me just acknowledge first that I know you have hurts with your father, and God can meet in that need too. So ask abundantly. Even ask for that. God, you're my good father, but I didn't have one. My father was gone, absent, perhaps uh, cold or worse, abusive. God wants to hear that too. And so a tale of two fathers is not Denethor and Robert or Dennis. A tale of two fathers is perhaps the earthly father we have, whether, it's, whether he was great or not, and our heavenly father who is perfect. You have a Father in heaven who delights in you. And so when we look at the creed, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. This indeed is a mighty God. The mighty God who creates is always a great thing, and we need to hear those stories that God creates these beautiful parts in our world. But that's not the only area where God is a mighty God. See, God is Father Almighty. He made the heaven and the earth. He's created the blue-green water around Okinawa, Mount Fuji, Pikes Peak, Mount Hood. He's created those, the Grand Canyon, Marianara Trench. He's created the sun and moon, billions of stars, quasars, quarks. I don't know what a quark is, but he created them. <laughs> blue whales, the biggest mammal, to Truskin Shrew, the smallest mammal. He's created all of that. And that God, that Almighty God, has a predisposition in your favor. He delights in you. When that God, that almighty God, looks at you, he smiles a benevolent pleasure, with benevolent pleasure. He rejoices over you. He sings over you and your salvation. He sings loudly on the best days that you live. And he probably sings louder on those worst ones. 
He sings over those who feel blessed today because of all the goodness in your life. And he's singing over you right now for those of you who are hurting from some loss that you're dealing with. He sings over you when your days are wonderful and on those days where the bottom just falls out. He sings over those days where you feel like you're crushing it as a parent and also on those days when you've been crushed as a parent. He's singing over you. He's singing over you in the season of victory of sin and he's singing over you when you have failed once again for that sin that you just can't get past. God the Father is singing over you. He's singing over you if you had a great dad and he's singing over you maybe even more so for those who had less than great dads. He rejoices and sings over the extroverts and the introverts. He sings over those who have it all together and those who have totally lost their way. God the Father is singing over you. He's singing over those right now at Coza and Calvary and Keystone, here at Pillar, other churches on island, other churches in the world. The Father sings over all of his children because we are all heirs to him and we are all able to say, Abba, Father. And he sings over you for those of you in the room right now who feel like you are not worth the song. God is singing and pursuing you. A father is coming for you. See, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees his works, his sacrifice, his perfection. All the favor that God the Father sees in Jesus, he sees in you. That right there is delight. He is Jesus' Abba Father, and he is your Abba Father. So Christian, stop trying to earn God's favor and approval. You already have it. You already have it. You have a father smiling in your direction, and yet you're trying to go your own way. So when you picture this face of God, the question I opened with, what expression does he have? I'll give you the answer. It's sheer delight. So rest and rejoice in the God who rejoices in you. Let's pray together. Father, you are a good, good father. I know that we all, earthly dads, love to hear it when people notice good things that we do. And maybe we don't tell you what a good father you are. You are a creator, you are a provider, you are our savior. But Lord, I just want to say that you are a good dad to us. Thank you for accepting us in our faults. Thank you for providing for us, Lord, when we ask for things. And thank you for delighting in us when we feel like nobody else can delight in us. Lord, I, the application is that we want to be better dads, Lord, but we know that we can never be the dad that you are. And so right now, all we do is just thank you. Thank you for being a great dad to us. Amen.